apply it to our lives this week. And we may, may we live out your word for your glory's sake in whatever context we find ourselves. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Something we forgot to mention earlier, uh, just a little bit of oversight. There's a community card inside your bulletin. If you're here this morning, you're a guest. If you could please fill that out, we'd like to get to know you a little bit more. Or if you have a prayer request, you can put that in there. Uh, we, the elders pray over this. The list goes out to our elders, and we have a prayer team that prays over this. So um, if you could fill that out and either put it on the table back there uh, with Caleb that's doing the sound back there, or just leave it on a chair. We'll pick it up, and uh, we'll get it to the, to the proper person. Um, also, uh, just uh, coming up... Kevin mentioned Summer Kids Club. That's coming up starting next Sunday night. Um, you may have seen these yellow flyers. If you live in Waukee, you may have seen one in your mailbox. Uh, we're going to be, ha- we're gonna be uh, meeting at Winfield Park starting next Sunday night, and it's going to be uh, available for preschool on up through fifth grade. So if you have uh, family members that are in the age bracket or if you have a neighbor, take one of these and pass it out. We also could use some help um, with... Uh, a craft team and a, some other teams. We need a registration team and craft teams that can help out with some of this. We need some meals provided for the team that's coming from Dubuque. The team, there's a, a missions team coming from Dubuque, Dubuque to help us out, and they're bringing about 15 people. And so we need a couple of meals uh, throughout the week for that team. Uh, we need some snacks. So there's a variety of ways. If you could put that on your community card, um, maybe a, a way that you could help out, put that on your community card or see me. Um, and then we can uh, um, make sure that everything is um, in order for that. I'm coming back from vacation, so I'm going to be working on this a little bit more this week and, and getting the details worked out. So just let me know if you're interested in helping out. Right now, uh, Brianna is going to come and read. Uh, she's going to read our scripture for us this morning. And Jay's got the microphone, so we're going to grab that from him. She's going to be reading out of Proverbs. She's going to be reading out of Proverbs, chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. And if you have a red Bible, this is 459. Um, so it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the, folly gushes, of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. A fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. All right, thanks, Brianna. Prudence. Thanks, Brianna. As I mentioned earlier, my family and I went on vacation for two weeks to Virginia. Uh, We just got back uh, last week, last Sunday. Had a great time. If you ever end up on an Alexander family vacation, you will find that there is history involved in an Alexander family vacation. Uh, We usually cannot go on a vacation without having some type of historical component to that. Uh, Thanks to my wife. She's a history teacher. She loves history, but I love history as well. And so it's a good fit because we always visit some type of um, historical site. And if it's free, it's even better. Um, So state capitals are usually free. So if you're looking for some history, those are good places to visit. Uh, One of the places that we ended up, uh, we visited, you know, Appomattox Courthouse, which was the end of the Civil War. Um, We visited the state capital in Richmond, Virginia. We went down the coast and we visited Colonial Williamsburg. Uh, We visited Jamestown and we visited Yorktown. Jamestown was the first permanent English settlement. Uh, Colonial Williamsburg was kind of the transition. There was the British 
who were there is kind of took place during the Revolutionary War, uh, late 1700s. And um, the Battle of Yorktown, Yorktown was the place where the fighting for the Revolutionary War ended. Um, and there was, during the end of the Revolutionary War, there were two generals, General Cornwallis, who was stationed in Virginia. General Cornwallis believed that if we can hold the South, if we can destroy the South, or if we can take all of those resources from the South, we can win the Revolutionary War. Well, there was another general for the British who was the commanding chief, uh, commander-in-chief, who was General Clinton, and he believed if we can hold the big cities of the North, then we can re- win the Revolutionary War. So the guy that was calling the shots was General Clinton, and so he was holding New York City, and General Washington, who was the commander-in-chief for the Colonial Army, he was camped outside of New York, and um, he was going to lay siege on New York City and take down New York City, and that was his hope of doing that. But he caught word that he could go to the south and go visit Mr. General Cornwallis and hopefully defeat General Cornwallis in the south. And so what General Washington did, brilliant, um, he set up his groundworks, and he made it look like they were going to lay siege to New York City with a small contingent of his army. And then he went and took the majority of his army and they took them south and trapped General Cornwallis on a small peninsula where Yorktown is. And in the meantime, you know, the the American colonies were also in cahoots with the French army and the French navy. And so they called the French navy up and they created a blockade. Okay. So during all of this that was taking place, General Cornwallis, if you, or General Clinton, who was in New York, thought that they were going to be laying siege to New York City, was telling General Cornwallis, well, you need to get your troops up here. And so he sent word, well, get your troops up here. So General Cornwallis was going to move his troops up. Well, then General Clinton sent another message, don't send your troops up, just keep your troops there. And so General Clinton is sending mixed messages back and forth to General Cornwallis. General Cornwallis is confused. So he just stays put. George, uh, General Washington comes down by land and kind of traps him on the peninsula. The French naval uh, army or French Navy comes up and creates a blockade and creates a nice little barrier so no messages could get in and no more troops could get in to help out General Cornwallis. And over the next couple of uh, days in late October, in October of 1781, the uh, General Cornwallis uh, was defeated. He, he gave up and he uh, conceded and that ended the fighting for the, for the Revolutionary War. And all, the, all of the Monday morning quarterbacks that come out after, you know, a major battle said that General Washington was successful because he was able to communicate very well and carry out the plan that he had very well. But General Cornwallis and General Clinton were sending mixed messages back and forth. Uh, General Clinton was not very clear on what it is that he was trying to communicate. He was just sending one message and sending the opposite message back and forth. Um, and so... They were defeated there. About a third of the British troops were there in New Yorktown, and they uh, were defeated. And that ended the fighting in the Revolutionary War. Fascinating because all of the groundworks are still there. Not all of them, but there were some groundworks that were still there in Yorktown. Um, There were still some trenches that were still there. There was kind of a readout, which is a kind of a watchtower that's beyond the front line. And so it's just fascinating to uh, hear the story of how these two guys that you would think have it all together were miscommunicating and dropping or mis, uh, misinforming each other, sending bad communication back and forth. And all of us, it just reminds me, all of us have some type of communication snafu that we've had in our past. 
I mean, we're all humans. We all have some type of communication snafu. Um, something that ends up bringing more hurt than healing. Something that brings um, more hurt to our either the people around us or the environment around us than it does healing. You know, some of us may have said something we wish we would not have said. If you are a, of the male species, you fall into this category. You have probably said something that you wish you would not have said. Um, maybe you've said too much or maybe you've said too little when you're trying to communicate with another individual. Um, maybe you've said something at the wrong time. It was the right thing that needed to be said, but you said it at the wrong time or you said it with the wrong emphasis. Um, and so that's another possible communication snafu. Uh, sometimes we may have say, we might say something and not have all of the facts. We throw out a communication, we talk or we say something, and then the next day we find out more facts and we say, oops, I shouldn't have said that because these new facts um, have now shed a new light on the subject. Or sometimes we say something just to get under somebody else's skin because um, that's kind of fun sometimes. Um, so sometime or another, our communication has been unattractive. Um, we, have, we have spoke hurt and not healing into the circumstance or into the environment that we find ourselves. But when it comes to communication, there's one thing that has not changed. Throughout history, man has attempted to communicate, um, usually over, sometimes over long distances, uh, sometimes at a fast rate. Um, and what, what man tries to do is we try to communicate with the clearest possible ways that we can possibly communicate, um, starting with hieroglyphics and paintings on walls. Um, but the problem with that, it's hard to pick up a wall and move it over a long period of, of you know, a long, a long distance. And so, you know, man came up with papyrus um, and was able to write messages on papyrus and send papyrus over a long distance. Um, the Persians put together a road system so that communication could take place over a long distance. You know, 2,000 miles you can travel that, and you can travel 200 miles a day. But yet that takes 10 days to get the information to where it needs to go. Um, carrier pigeons. Carrier pigeons were used to, to uh, move communication from one... I kind of get this picture in my mind of a carrier pigeon trying to carry a big stone tablet, and that doesn't really work. So I'm assuming they were carrying paper or some type of papyrus. Um, so carrier pigeons were used. And then the printing press came along, and we could do mass communication. But if you go to living history farms or if you go to, uh, if you're in Williamsburg, Virginia, you see a printing press, and all of the time it takes to, do a, a, to set the print and all of these little letters that you have to put in just to get. But, I mean, it was a great invention of the day. And, but it took a long time. And so that was developed. And eventually we get these things called newspapers where we can mass communicate and mass print them out and send them out and tell, say all of this information at once. And then we get this thing called the telegraph that we can send little codes. Then we get this thing called the telephone and the television. And now we have the computer where we can enter something into the computer and put it on the Internet. And somebody halfway across the world can see that message at that next second. So you see... Man has communicated that we attempt to communicate over a long distance of long space of uh, long distance and at the fastest rate at the most uh, precise um, at the most precise um, mo most precisely that we can you know can't come up with a word so 
Yet, when it, comes to, when it comes to communication, the issue is not the mode of how a message is delivered. It's usually the personal interaction behind the mode that needs to be addressed. Modes have changed over time, um, but yet it remains the, the person attempting to communicate a message person to person, to, from one person to another. And usually that person, that's where we have the greatest opportunity for communication to break down. So the biggest communication challenge that we as a person face, that we as people face, that we as individuals face, is how does one speak healing and not hurt with the people around us and the circumstances that we find ourselves? And just wanted to acknowledge some inherent barriers to to one-on-one communication that in general can muddy up the water. Um, see, so, something that we really, I don't know, we, have a, we don't have a whole lot of control over, and so these are just some things that we inherit. Not everyone speaks the same language. Here in Iowa, most of us speak English, but, you know, as I go around to stores, I hear different languages popping up from different countries. But most of us in general speak uh, the, the English language. Um, I was talking to Pastor Dave this past week about the, the message about communication, and he reminded me of a story from when he went to the Middle East. Here in America, we have a symbol um, that means a, a good thing. You know, take your, your thumb and your, your index finger, and you connect them together, and you have your other three fingers up. And this means what? Everything's A-OK. You go to the Middle East, and you throw out this symbol. I can't say it, but it doesn't mean a very good thing. Okay. Um, this is more of an insult to an individual. This is not a good thing or this is not a good symbol to do in the Middle East. And so here's Pastor Dave who is getting a haircut. Gets his haircut done. Well, number one, Dave getting, Pastor Dave getting a haircut. He must have been pretty close. But number two, Pastor Dave is about got done getting his haircut. And the, the, the barber can't speak English, but he's gesturing, you know, how do, how do you like this haircut? And so Pastor Dave starts raising his hand and changes it to a thumbs up real quick because he realizes that he's about to insult the guy that just cut his hair that has the razor in his hand still. <laughs> so he gives a thumbs up symbol instead of the insult. So different languages. We all have a language barrier that we have to face. Um, and not everyone hears the same thing. We all have a different grid through which we hear communication, through how we hear information. Some of it's, be, you know, some, we, we, our upbringing, our familial upbringing. That's, that brings into the grid of communication. Our maturity, or our life experience, we, we have that grid through which we hear communication. Our gender, male, female, we have that grid through which we hear communication. Women usually hear communication a lot better than men. Geographical location of where we've grown up, that's a grid. If I were to throw out barbecue, something I learned about barbecue. Carolina barbecue is different from Kansas City barbecue. I lived in Kansas City for seven years and really never knew anything about barbecue until living in Kansas City. And Kansas City has a unique taste. It's a sweeter barbecue, Um, very good barbecue, pulled pork is usually how they are pulled chicken is how they would do barbecue in Kansas City. Not so much in Carolina. In Carolina, they chop their pork. I don't know, you know, it looks a little different. 
and their, their barbecue is a vinegar-based barbecue, and it's spicier. And not do you just do that. Then you just throw coleslaw on top of it, and you eat your barbecue. So even if I were to say barbecue, all of us might have a different idea of what barbecue might look like. Kansas City barbecue, Memphis barbecue, George barbecue, Carolina barbecue. Some of us might say, I hate barbecue. Don't even talk about barbecue. But we all have a grid through which how we hear communication. All right? So that's an inherent uh, could be an inherent barrier to one-on-one communication. And not everyone is fit for one, one mode of communication. That's a big struggle, um, just trying to figure out how is it we have, you know, 100 people here and 200 people in our body, and how do you communicate one message to 200 different people that want to hear the communication in a different way? Some of us want to hear a narrative. Tell me a story about this communication some of us want, just give me the bullet points. Give them to me at lines. Just don't, don't bore me with the story. Just give me lines. Some of us want the big picture. Show me the big picture. Other of us want to, well, show me the detail. I want to see the detail of this communication, or I want to see the detail of what this is going to look like. Somebody, some of us say, well, give me, just, give, give me the bottom line, and I'll figure out the details from there. And so there's a lot of different ways through how we hear communication. And so that's a challenge that we have to face as we are considering our communication. And these inherent barriers add to the whole mix and bring a, sometimes a greater risk of speaking hurt rather than healing. So these are just some things that we need to be aware of as we are communicating with another individual. Um, and they can bring a greater amount of hurt rather than a greater amount of healing. And some of that hurt can result in conflicts rubbing people the wrong way. It could result in broken relationships, hurt feelings. Uh, it can result in disastrous outcomes, um, as, as happened with the, uh, the, the British, British Army. You know, I bring these challenges to light so that we're aware of them, that we face them um, when it comes to communication. And I don't want to say that communication is a horrible thing and it's an evil thing. Communication is a great thing and it can bring healing. That's what I wanted to talk about today is how is it that we can speak healing and not hurt into our relationships that we have? How is it that we can speak healing and not hurt into the circumstances that we find ourselves in? And Scripture addresses this. Brianna read this earlier in Proverbs chapter 15. And I just wanted to go through these four verses and talk about four things. Number one, how we respond to others, because sometimes we find ourselves in a communication and people are talking to us or at us or with us, and it's more of they're bringing the conversation or they're bringing something to the table. And so how do we respond to others? And sometimes it's how we engage with others and how we engage our communication with others, that we are approaching another individual. And I also wanted to say, talk about uh, why we speak healing. Why is it that we even are concerned about speaking healing? And then fourthly, what happens when we do speak healing? Those, I just want to talk about those four things this morning. So I'm going to start in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. And I'm going to start with how we respond, uh, how we respond to others. It says in verse 1, A soft or tender reply turns away anger or indignation. But a harsh, painful word stirs up wrath. And we read this and think, this is great. 
You know, everybody should do this. Everybody should have a soft answer. And it's easy for us to say right now until we find ourselves in one of those hard situations where somebody's coming hard at us with an accusation or they're, they're you know, barreling down at us and they're upset and they're bringing a heated argument to us. And then all of a sudden we want to jump in and have a heated argument back with them and they might be accusing us. And they say, well, if I, if I throw out a soft word, then I'm going to concede the argument. I'm going to lose the argument. Okay. Before we go there, I'm gonna, I want to address the word soft. Because it says a soft reply or a soft answer. Um, so to do that, I wanted to clarify this soft word by going to a, a story in First Samuel chapter 25. A story of Nabal and Abigail and David. And if you remember, David was anointed king by Samuel. And, but yet King Saul was still in power. And so King Saul was chasing David around and trying to kill David. And so here's King David with a group of a couple hundred guys, and they're out there hiding away from King Saul, and they come across these shepherds, and they come across these sheep. And they say, well, these aren't really the enemies of King Saul, so we're going to help protect them and take care of them. Finds out that they're the, it's the Nabal. Nabal has, you know, 2,000 sheep, and he's got 1,000 goats. And King David, you know, his guys over time, they're, they, they're starving, they're hungry, so they go, go to King Na- or they go to Nabal, and they say, Nabal... Can we have some food? You've got enough food. We've protected your shepherds. We've protected your sheep. Can we have some food? Nabal says, no, you cannot. You cannot have any of my food. I don't know who you are. So David is a little hacked off, and he gathers about 400 men, and he's going to go approach Nabal. Nabal, 400 men. And David says, I'm not just going to kill Nabal, but I'm going to kill all of the male people in his house and all of the male servants that he has and i'm just going to annihilate his whole family david is a little bit upset and so abigail hears what what is about to happen abigail is nabal's wife and she caught wind and she piled food on top of donkeys and said take told her servants take this food to david and i'm following right behind you here i come i'm coming right behind you and this is what her response was i want to read her response, starting in verse 24 in, in 1 Samuel chapter 25, she fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your heart, your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives... Because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving, uh, saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. What Abigail says is, David, if you follow through with your plan... You are just going to, you're going to be just as Nabal. Nabal is a fool. I know he's a fool. David, I don't want you to be a fool. David, don't carry through with your plan. You got to remember, she is a single woman kneeling before David and 400 men with swords drawn, ready to kill Nabal. And she approaches them and says this, don't be a fool, David. Don't be as Nabal. She said what needed to be said, even though it was hard. It was hard for her to face 400 men, drawn swords, kneeling down and to say what she said. She said what needed to be said, even though it was hard. 
And she said what needed to be said in a soft manner. And she persuaded David from doing something very, very foolish. So soft is not weak. But it is gentle. Soft says what needs to be said. It's not backing down, but instead it's saying what needs to be said. And we speak healing and not hurt when we respond. When somebody's coming hard at us, we speak healing and not hurt into that relationship when we respond with a gentle yet firm answer. So how is it that we engage with others? Let's take, uh, continue on with verse 2. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive, but the mouth of fools pours out, uh, pours out foolishness. I want to change a word, um, actually add a little bit more depth to a word. The word pours out in the second half of the verse. But the mouth of fools pours out foolishness. That word can also be uh, changed to, but the mouth of fools blurts out foolishness. Or, the mouth of the fool emits a foul odor. Or, the mouth of the fool belches out foolishness. Now, all of us have been at a place where we've emitted a foul odor. (laughs) Or been with somebody that's emitted a foul odor. And it doesn't smell very good. Or we've all been in a place where somebody's belched and emitted a foul odor. It's not a pleasant time, is it? Especially if they've eaten garlic or onions and they're belching and putting out foul odors. It's not a good place to be. And that's what the Bible is saying, that this is a fool, someone who belches out, someone who emits a foul odor. This is a fool, someone who does not think through what he is saying. You've, you've heard... To one of these two sayings, one is, uh, when she talks, people really listen. When she or he talks, people really listen. But you also heard, oh, he's just spouting off at the mouth. One is, this person, when they talk, they have a lot of weight to what they say. Because I know that they've thought through everything. But this person, they're spouting off at the mouth. They're not really thinking through anything. And we all know people of that. And when we... When we really want to get some counsel from somebody, who do we go to? We go to that person that we know that what they have to say really, really matters because they've thought through all of what needs to be thought through. Most of us can blurt out anything at any time. And more times than not, it's very unattractive. When we get into a discussion with somebody, when we get into an argument with somebody, or we just start talking, we can blurt out something that's very unattractive. It takes time and effort to put something together that's attractive when it comes to communication. And we speak healing and not hurt when we think through what we say and how we say it. So we speak healing and hurt. We speak healing and not hurt when we respond with a gentle yet firm reply. We speak healing and not hurt when we think through what we say and how we say it. So why is it that we speak healing? Why do we even worry about speaking healing? Let's continue on with verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the mischievous, wicked, the mischievous or the wicked, and the good. 
Who's watching our communication? This, this verse says, who's watching our communication? God is watching our communication. And the, the word that's used here is uh, the self-existent, the eternal Jewish national God. So a very relational individual is kind of the word that's being used here, the Lord. God is watching. And he's, everything, every place, you know, the, the span of God's watching, it says from the evil to the good. And this is not, the writer's not trying to say, well, God's just trying to thump people and he's looking for ways to thump people over the head. What this is, what writer is trying to communicate is, is that he's trying to communicate the span between the good and the evil. You think of the most evil person and the, the, the good, the, the best, goodest person that you can think of. And all of those people in between, that is the span of which God sees. And it also says that God is personally involved in watching. The second half of the verse, the word observe has the idea of leaning forward. It has an idea of peering into the distance. Yesterday at about 1.30, I received a phone call from Pastor Dave. This is before his incident on the, on the wave runner. And I get a phone call from Pastor Dave and he says, Jeff, your daughter cut her foot. I'm like, All right. So he's like, you need to come and pick her up. She probably is going to need some stitches. Mark and Aaron looked, Mark and Aaron Fish, who are doctors and were there, looked at it and saw it and said, yeah, she's going to need some stitches. I was like, okay. So set up a meeting place. Meet Jesse Milligan at Highway 44 and 169 in the middle of some field. Um, I have no idea what's out there. I know it's north of Adel. There's a feed store there. Okay, great. We got a feed store that we're going to go to. So I hop in my car in West Des Moines and I start heading down the freeway. I wasn't speeding. If I was, it was only five or maybe 10 over, but I wasn't speeding too much, but I wanted to get there. And so I'm down the freeway. I get off at 169, heading through Adel. I try to go the speed limit through Adel and I get on the north side of Adel. And as soon as I get on the north side of Adel, there are three tractors, identical tractors going 35 miles an hour that just pulled out of a a field, and they smell like fertilizer. And did I say they were going 35 miles an hour? And I had a quarter tank of gas, and I had no idea how far I had to go, and I didn't know if I was going to run out of gas, and if I hit the gas too much, was I going to spend too much gas so I couldn't get to where I needed to pick up my daughter? So I checked my GPS, and I'm looking on my map or on my phone to make sure that I'm on the right track. And I finally you know, get around one of the tractors, and I still have two tractors that are going, did I say, 35 miles an hour. <laughs> so finally, I just gave up and said, I started looking for the corner of F Highway 44 and 169, and I saw a building, and I'm looking off in the distance, and it's the wrong building. So that's not the building. I look a little bit further. Yes, there's a feed store right there. I, I, there's the feed store. And then, then I start scanning for a van or a familiar vehicle so I can find my daughter. And that's the idea that the, the writer is saying here, is that the God that we worship, that we serve, is intimately and wants to be involved, and he's looking into the distance. He's leaning in. Just as I was leaning in and looking for my daughter, this is the same God that we worship. This is the same God that we serve. Why do we speak healing? Because we have a personal, intimate God that is peering into our lives, that is looking into our lives and the lives of those around us. 
we are able to speak healing because God is intimately interested in our life and those around us. And we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we can bring healing to those that, are, that we're in relationship uh, with. So what happens when we speak healing? Verse 4. The tongue that heals or cures is a life-giving tree, but a vicious, perverse, distorted, devious tongue breaks, hurts, brings destruction to the spirit. And I'm throwing a lot of words in there just because I'm trying to add a little bit of a depth to, to some of the words. Um, so I'm going to read it again. The tongue that heals or cures is a life-giving tree, but a vicious or perverse, distorted, devious tongue breaks or hurts or brings destruction to the spirit. Silver maples, trees. If you ever put a tree in your yard, do not put a silver maple in your tree or silver maple tree in your yard because it's a tree that gets diseased and it just starts to look nasty over time. And it starts to break down because there's some type of disease that gets into it. And that's the idea that, that, the, divert, that the, the uh, vicious or perverse, distorted, devious tongue brings destruction to the spirit. Disease gets into a tree, and it brings destruction to the tree. But the first half of that verse, a tongue that heals is a life-giving tree. I love the way that, that the writer puts this. The tongue that heals is a life-giving tree, a tree that gives fruit back, a tree that provides shade, a tree that provides oxygen. And it's a healthy tree. It's a tree that's full and lush. It's green. And that's the type of, uh, that's the type of tree that a healing tongue will produce. Taking that into a person's life, when we have a healing tongue, we breathe life into, into another person. But what does it say about the devious tongue? We basically, when we have a devious or an evil tongue, we bring destruction to another individual. We have an opportunity to do one of two things, give life by our speech or give death or bring destruction by our speech. When we speak healing and not hurt, we speak life into others. And we could do this because of the example of Jesus. We know what a life-giving tree looks like. We can read through Scripture and see how Jesus was a life-giving tree. He gives a gentle, he gives a gentle reply when needed, you know, to the sheep without a shepherd, to those crowds that were being misled and didn't know where to go or which direction. He was like a sheep. They were like sheep without a shepherd, and he provided a, a, a comforting, a, a healing word to them. But yet he gave a firm reply when needed to the Pharisees. And he wasn't going to back down and he told them the truth. Jesus brought healing to a hurting world. You know, earlier we, we talked about um, why we speak healing and not hurt. We said because God is watching. And that's, the, that's kind of the big picture uh, question why. Why is it that we speak healing and not hurt? Because God is watching. But what is the significance for us today? As we walk out of 
as we walk out of Prairie View and as we walk into our homes this afternoon, as we walk into our, our places of employment, um, if, if, if we work outside the home, if we walk into the school, school starting in another couple of weeks, and if we walk into our classroom, if we walk into the YMCA, if we walk into Hy-Vee, if we walk into the gas wherever we walk, what is it? What is the significance of this answer today? Well, God is watching, others are as well, and we engage in conversation in these different places. Do we speak healing? You know, are we in tune with what others say? Or are we looking for Jesus' conversations? That's why it's significant, because we are to be bringing Jesus' conversations. We're, be, we're to be looking for opportunities to share Jesus with those that we meet, with those, uh, with those that we come in contact with. Are we willing to speak healing? Sometimes it's easier just to let things slide and not say anything. You know, I've been in a, um, in a relationship with my neighbor, uh, just communication relationship with my neighbor. And we were talking uh, several months ago. And um, he, I, I forget what the context, the, I think the context of the conversation was, you know, what is it that this world needs? And he asked me point blank, what is it this world needs? And I said, well, I don't know. What is it do you think this world needs? And as soon as I said that, I was like, drat, I missed an opportunity to be a name dropper. I'd missed the opportunity to share Jesus, that Jesus is the, what, what the world needs. You know, later on, just before we left for vacation, same neighbor, same similar conversation, just we, we talk over the fence type of thing every now and then. And he has this thing about uh, his, his uh, burning bush. He has a burning bush tree that he planted. And so that's kind of a running theme in some of our conversation. He says, you know, Jeff, I think that this burning bush, that's what the burning bush in the, with Moses looked like. I said, no, I don't think that's what it looked like. And I explained to him what I thought it looked like and that it was an actual burning bush and why I thought it was an actual burning bush. And that led to more conversation about spiritual matters, about him opening up. And I know that he was thinking about what I had said because two days later, my wife and myself and him were all out in our driveway. And he said, yeah, Jesus, or Jeff, went all Jesus, or Jeff went all Bible on me the other day. And so I know that he was thinking. And I didn't share the gospel with him, but I got him thinking and got him moving down the road of thinking about Christ, about thinking about the Bible. Are we willing to speak healing into those around us? Do we look for those Jesus conversations? And have we earned the right to speak healing? Do, we, do people run from us because we're always trying to, uh, because we're always trying to find faults in them? Are we always pointing faults out? Are we looking for opportunities to share, to share grace, to simply be a friend, look for opportunities to speak healing and not hurt? You know, we, <clears throat> excuse me. We are Christ's ambassadors. Um, ambassador speaks on behalf of someone. So we speak on behalf of Christ. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, when Jesus sent out a group of followers, he said, I'm sending you out among wolves, be wise as serpents, yet gentle as doves. He's saying, look for opportunities to, in a sense, strike. Look for opportunities to, I'll say the word attack, but we're not trying to attack a person with the gospel. But look for opportunities to strike in a good way, but yet do it in a gentle way. Speak hurt, not healing. 
Speaking hurt and not healing will keep you from bringing God to others. Speaking hurt and not healing will have people running from you rather than being attracted to you. But speaking healing and not hurt will allow you to be salt and light in the world. It will allow you to be a peacemaker. And that's what my prayer is as we close. My prayer is is that we would be people who speak healing and not hurt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, come to you this morning, and God, I just pray that you would help us to be people who speak healing and not hurt. That we would look for opportunities to share Christ. That we'd look for opportunities to share Jesus with others. And that we wouldn't do it in a, in a, a way that deflects people, but that we would do it in a way that draws people to Christ. That draws people to the loving relationship that they can have through Jesus. So God, I just pray that you would help us as we go um, into our workplaces this week or as we go into our recreation places this week or as we go into our commercial places this week, wherever we might go, that we would be people who speak healing and not hurt. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can go ahead and stand and join us as we close out today singing glory to God. Lord.